Like, this is the real deal now, Nas. You know, lashing up some fucking tweet of a Carlo jersey or something. You know, anyone, can, anyone can do that. These are, these are the hard yards now. You you make it you make it sound as if like I've somehow dived into like a, a copy of Angela's Ashes and just lived through that for like ninety minutes. <laughs> Effectively, you have in football in football terms, you have. I think it would lift the spirits of the nation. I don't give a fuck about the nation of Morocco. It's people's lives are at risk. Oli Gunnar, where would you like the statue? <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. Take it as a yes, then. Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, have a bad shave. Hello, comrades, and you're very welcome to the Football Spin. It's a Football Spin on a beautiful Friday morning. Uh, Football Spin, our first post-Nations League Football Spin, and also our first Football Spin lab experiment because we took a gentleman from northern england we took another gentleman from southern england that's how rigorous this particular experiment was and we asked them to watch a game of football between two teams you may argue not amongst the leading lights of european football um of european national football bulgaria versus the republic of ireland myself and dion have some experience of watching republic of ireland but this experiment was all about Nuruddin Chowdhury and Ruben Pinder. Ruben, I'll start with yourself. Can you sum up exactly how you, um, how you, the word enjoyed is in my mouth, but can I say that, enjoyed this particular experiment? How did you experience Bulgaria versus Ireland? Well, I didn't enjoy it. Um, it was... How dare you? <laughs> it was very dull. Um... Bulgaria moved the ball better than Ireland do, uh, and I didn't recognise any of their players. Um, I know it was the manager's first game for Ireland, um, and they look like a team who know what they wanted to do, but aren't that good at doing it yet. Um, and yeah, just it's international football in an empty stadium. I don't know whether stadiums that have athletics tracks around them always are bad for atmosphere i don't know whether that makes any difference in an empty stadium but it felt like it did it it felt like it made the game worse it was just it wasn't a very nice game to look at also because the island kit as nice as it is blends in with the grass but on the whole on the whole it was just a very a very boring experience and i can't believe that i missed germany versus spain to watch that shite <laughs> You're bl- blaming the rain- running track. That's good. Uh, that's a good excuse. N- Nas, what are your thoughts? Um, I mean, like I start, I started the game optimistic because of everything I'd heard beforehand about this new island and this this new era. Come on, uh, Ireland! And and then and then to be honest, like unlike Ruben, sort of like I was I was a I was a bit um, encouraged and enthused about the way. Ireland were playing like it, 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 it they were playing in, in a very sort of neat way um they were they were building from the back it felt as if uh, there was some shape there so that was so then felt quite encouraged by that then obviously the goal and then you're totally dismayed not not just because they've gone behind but just because it's just basic football like like that was it what that wasn't uh, Bulgaria playing well or Bulgaria having a good moment that was like that was literally a ball 10 yards straight forward fast and, too easy wasn't it yeah Cap- and, 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 and was out of position yeah and, and and just a chasm between the two defenders and then then that was dismay and then the way the way Ireland rallied sort of uh gave a little bit of hope and and then it got to a point where they scored and that was great but then you you kind of realize that sort of like you you're aiming for uh you're aiming for a draw like against Bulgaria and then uh, and then the realization hits you that uh that that's if that's if that's the sort of peak of your sort of expectation for the game, then um, what's the point? One one is the point. It's it's the most uh, it's the most I saw some say it, the most patriotic of all scorelines for Ireland. <laughs> um, a one one draw with a late Shane Duffy header. It doesn't you you don't, I don't feel like you fully appreciate just how authentic your experience was last night. You got a true 
experience of um, of Republic of as, Ireland. As, as Miguel, De, Miguel Delaney uh, tweeted last night, 13.1% of Ireland's all-time international matches have ended 1-1. That's 74 out of 567. <laughs> oh 59 <laughs> of those have come since the Charlton era, so since 1986. And uh, a 1-1 draw every four years rose to almost 1-1 draws, almost two 1-1 draws every year. So... Uh, Half of them have been against Denmark. Well, yeah, yeah, we don't usually, yeah, except for the four-one as well, losing four-one. Um, my, 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 my feeling watching Ireland is is the feeling I've had watching Ireland a few times, where I just feel as if do you know, do you know, in the nineties, you always had these teams that were pretty good, but then had a star, like like with uh, with Romania. I mean, Romania ended up having uh, a number of sort of very good players towards the. Towards the uh, mid to late nineties, uh, but but they they were they were okay team, but then they had Hadja. Um, yeah. Belgium were an okay team, but then they had Shifo. Like it, it, watching Ireland, it, all, it always feels as if like if they just had like one star, if they just had that like that playmaker or that number ten, uh, it would make a world of difference. Well, that's the thing. Like that's and at the level Ireland are at, even below the players and the teams you mentioned, like that's always been the thing they've come up against you know when they play Austria they even have Alaba playing in centre midfield or Wales have Bale and it is just that one player that elevates international football at a certain level to something that is you know watchable um, and uh, and without that it is it is hard and I was like I, I do think that I've, I've different uh, I think it's very hard for anyone to watch uh, any international football without kind of some kind of personal investment in it. And nobody really would, uh, um, uh, um, like there's a line in, in like in, in the, I think it's a line in the untouchables when he, somebody says they, they work for the treasury and Sean Connery says, who would say that they, they are that, that is not like who would admit to doing this that didn't have to do it. And it's a bit like that watching Ireland matches. Like why would you watch an Ireland match unless you really had to? So like, I do feel, Sorry for Ruben, especially Ruben, because I think, Nas, I, I was thinking last night when we were on WhatsApp, I was thinking, you've got such an Irish constituency uh, <laughs> and such an Irish audience, which you've, you know, let's be honest, that you've played to it times. <laughs> can I, know, can, can, I wouldn't can, use the word, I wouldn't use the word pander, but I say <laughs> you've you, you play, you played to them. And I was thinking, like, this is the real deal now, Nas. You know, lashing up some fucking tweet. With a Carlo jersey or something, but anyone can anyone can do that. These are these are the hard yards. Now. You, you make it you make it sound as if like I've somehow dived into like a, a copy of Angela's Ashes and just lived through that for like ninety minutes. <laughs> Effectively, you have in football in football terms, you have. Can I just make a defence for, for my for my pro pro Irish stance? First of all. I, I've grown up in Manchester, so therefore, obviously, around loads of Irish people and sort of second generation generation Irish people. Secondly, um, like I, I, I've I've been slightly surprised when Irish people have sort of said that there's a big sort of uh, or, or, or there is a significant um, sort of issue with race in 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 in, in se- certain sections of Irish culture because like any Irish person I've met has been totally sound. But I I, I appreciate that's probably people who've come out come over from England and also people from like big cities. But then I went to work with a for, for a company that had lots of Irish people um connected to it and then like like now I've developed loads of mates. They might, they might not be on this particular podcast, but I've developed loads of mates from Ireland who, who, who sort of like will stay with me. So, I, so it's not it's not some sort of like hollow thing. Like I've got a deep affection for for, for Ireland, and I think it's I think it's partly because uh, I, I I like that bristling up against the English and uh, that sort of like uh, anti imperial sort of uh, sentiment. Nobody's like, questioning. Some of his best friends are Irish. Yeah, no. Yes, exactly. That's what he's just said. But nobody, no, nobody is questioning your credentials. All I'm saying is that now you have actually taken a step towards something authentic, rather than uh, you know um, some cultural appropriation. You've actually I've experienced. I've lived. You've lived. This is, this is a lived experience, and like, and this isn't bad. Like, this is not a bad experience. You know, myself and Paddy 
are here to tell you that like this was not <laughs> not the worst experience because at the at the root of it all was the idea that like Stephen Kenny will do um will do something will have some progressive ideas as, as Ireland manager um and it will get better whereas that hasn't been the case uh previously uh and as for Ruben I do I feel especially sorry for you Ruben because I think without having cultivated that constituency to come on and say you didn't enjoy it uh it's not going to help you, is it you're in trouble, I'd say. Mm. I say you're in trouble. Well, look, if it's like any Irish people, if Irish, here's the two. If Irish people ask you, what do you think of Ireland? I think this encompasses the country, the people, the football team, especially anything to do with GAA. You must, oh, there is only one. When they say, what do you think? And you might think they're being friendly and nice. There is only one acceptable answer. And it's because. not, you know, this was miserable. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Shite. That was the word I remember. <laughs> well, if it's any consolation, I have felt the same way watching countless England games okay, in the that's, past. That's fine. But yeah. it's just, uh, as with all football, it's the game that you have uh, a personal investment in is more enjoyable, even if it's objectively worse, you know? Okay, yeah. Ruben, let's talk about um, James McCarthy. He's obviously Crystal Palace footballer, someone you were looking forward to seeing. And to be fair, uh, the system that Kenny wants to play, which involves getting the ball down and playing through the middle, it actually hinged a lot on James McCarthy doing what a you know that a midfielder in that system needs to do: take the ball from the centre halves, move the ball forward. So, James McCarthy, what did you think of his? You've seen a lot of James McCarthy for Crystal Palace. What did you think of James McCarthy in a green jersey? Uh, he, I did. I don't think he played very well. Um, he played some quite sloppy passes. I thought um, for Palace, he's normally more of a. He just kind of breaks the play up and just lives for the aggro and just throws himself into tackles and fans love him because of that. But he's like he doesn't actually contribute much with the ball at his feet. Um, and yeah, I thought if Ireland want to play that way, they could probably do with a better number six in that position to pass the ball because Hurahan and um, Hendrick are decent ball players. But um, yeah, I guess you could play Hurahan there instead and play somebody else uh, as in his number eight position. But um, yeah, I didn't think McCarthy had his best game, to be honest. Um, but I thought the whole system, just on this note, on, from a tactical point of view, like it kind of, it, Shane Duffy can, can pass a football competently, but he is getting on a bit and he's not the most mobile, which is why he's uh, no longer first choice for Brighton. I thought it would have made much more sense to play a back three with Seamus Coleman in the back three because he has played there for Everton. Play Doherty at wing back, play Stevens at left back, uh, left wing back because that's where they play for their clubs. Um, Egan plays in the back three as well. And then you can play Ida and Connolly closer together because they're both strikers and everybody would just be in their favourite position if you just switched it up to a 3-5-2 and then you wouldn't have to go through McCarthy so much in midfield. But, um, you know, who am I to say? Am I to tell Kenny? Yeah, Coleman, Coleman is one of the three center, uh, three defenders. Yeah, yeah, just like tucked in alongside mm. Duffy, and then allows Doherty to push forward a bit. Well, Duffy's see, twenty-eight, by the way, so he is he's he's still quite young. Oh, really? Well, he, yeah, well, he plays like a thirty-five-year-old. Yeah, I, I I don't think he looked. He looked. He played like uh, at least he played like a twenty-eight-year-old who is only still in preseason. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. Because, Fair enough. But I would I would say I would be surprised if Shane Duffy is still Ireland's starting centre back at the end of this campaign. Um if if Kenny can find anyone uh to replace him, I think he probably will because of what you say. I don't think he's gonna change the system. I think he's probably gonna that's the system he wants to play or a version yeah. of it. And uh I quite like the idea. I, I think one of the you know, I quite like the the decision he made to play Doherty ahead of Coleman in terms as well of trying, instead of trying to fit these two players into your team, saying, right, I'm just going to pick one of them, uh, even though they both, you know, they're both better maybe than other players we have, but they both mm. essentially play in the same position. I'm just going to make a decision and pick one of them. I thought that was a strong, good decision to make. Um, and I thought like Duffy's, like he, he, you know, he, he struggles bringing the ball out of, out of defense, which is one thing you can, you can, over, you can compensate for that. You can get other people to do that. He doesn't necessarily have to be doing that, but he, he was really sluggish for the goal as well. Um, and uh, now he might, he might claim that he was exposed and the midfield weren't there for him, but he looked, he just looked, he was out of position and he was slow to react. Um, and I don't, and 
having you know the fact that he scored the equaliser in the classic Irish goal, I I I don't think you know he was he was really to blame for the goal itself. So it cancels itself out, and I I think long term and even medium term. Penny will be looking for somebody to replace him because I thought, in general, he had a shocking performance last night. Yeah, there is, of course, a player in the England team who could have done either McCarthy's role or Duffy's role much better than either of them. Yeah, well, you're just, yeah, yeah I know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah sorry. <laughs> <sighs> um, just on the system, uh, Dion, the, that Stephen Kenny wants to play, like, if you, so going back, we've obviously had Trapatoni. Martin O'Neill, Mick McCarthy, who all decided to play a very reductive style. We'll get to Mick McCarthy in a moment. <clears throat> a very reductive style that involved, you know, keeping it tight, getting it, getting it to the end line, slinging crosses in, play it long, skip the midfield essentially because the contention was you didn't really have the footballers in the middle of the park to play anything other than this very reductive game. Stephen Kenny, from, from the very beginning, has said, does not, does not buy into that. Players are there. Obviously, last night's one game, <clears throat> but if you look at McCarthy and you look at someone like Jeff Hendrick, you would have thought, right, this system is going to suit Jeff Hendrick down to the ground because this is what he does. He's a neat and tidy footballer. He's got good ability. He can tie passes together. Is there a concern that we don't have centre midfielders that will actually be able to play this system and that we it might actually expose the, re, uh, the lie or the reality that maybe... Uh, O'Neill, McCarthy, Trapattoni had a point. Well, what does it expose? Like, it, I don't know. I don't really buy the the the, the argument there because uh, it was being exposed anyway. Um, like Ireland, you know, this isn't like oh, we're coming off the back of you know tremendously successful campaigns. Uh, um, you know, Ireland are, are are still and probably not going to qualify for. Um, a European Championships with half the teams in Europe actually qualify for, um, and uh, um, and you know that will be a big blow. Although this idea, I think the other thing is to, to go off on a tangent for a minute. The idea that we're still like, I, when when is the decision going to be made by UEFA that this this tournament next year is not going to be a multi-city tournament? Because one of the things that is hanging over Ireland is you know they're going to be missing out in a tournament that's taking place in Park in Dublin. Um, like that seems really unlikely no matter what kind of normal we get back to next summer i think the idea that you would have uh fans and everyone moving around from uh city to city um is highly unlikely um but anyway uh the idea that we're there's somehow there there is, there is nothing there's nothing to lose from this from from this approach and the idea that you can be effective and get players playing better and ask them to express themselves. Perhaps, like, I, I've never seen the problem. I've never looked at Hendrick and thought the problem with Hendrick. I, I know, and we've talked about this in previous shows about whether it's just the system doesn't suit him. I've never looked at Hendrick and think the system isn't, is, are, is denying him the, ability, the chance to play. I think there's, there's, I think he needs to show more personality in the games and do more to actually affect games. I don't think it's anything to do with systems in Hendrick's case. Um, so he's now been given an opportunity um, and it passed the game passed him by last night as it had passed him by under many games for Mick McCarthy and Martin O'Neill. So um, there is no change there. And again, like we, may be, we, may be, we may come up against the... the uh, the reality that we don't have the players to play this system, but you have to you have to try. You have to say, right, let's see what this can do. Let, let's see if this is a more effective way of being uh, successful in international football. And it's not it's not a question of saying you're not doing it for the sake of it. And that's why it's it's good to be encouraged by certain things. I wouldn't get you know the idea that you would necessarily be encouraged just because Ireland's possession it was seventy thirty or whatever it was. Uh, in Ireland's favour last night, like that's fine, but it, as as of itself, it doesn't really tell you anything. Um, you know, it's good that they that they pass the ball more in the first half than they did in in you know plenty of you know, ninety minutes under Martin O'Neill. But again, it doesn't tell you anything of itself. But it's a starting point, point. Um, and this was a reasonably 
encouraging starting point with the big proviso all the time with with Ireland that you know the, we we need to find the players we need there, there needs to be players coming through uh that the manager can rely on but also um i think there is a manager for Ireland now who will encourage those players who will look at players uh earlier who will bring players through if he thinks they can do something and that's been one of the problems as well so when we talk about Shane Duffy and whether he can do it or do it for Ireland or not um I would have more faith in Stephen Kenny to kind of be working on solutions that might be a bit more adventurous might be a bit more um experimental than I would have had in Martin O'Neill or Mick McCarthy now with Ireland games um Ruben and Oz for context uh, at the event the game itself has often been overshadowed or at least what's more interesting is the actual coverage of the game going back on RTE with people like Eamon Dunphy and Liam Brady Johnny Giles that would have been like incredible analysts providing a lot of entertainment and insight on the games and last night uh, the game was only available on Sky in Ireland which would have piqued the interest of well definitely would have been a a talking point for a lot of Irish people. Then Sky's coverage itself, and we will get to the co-commentary in a moment, but was pretty strange and patchy. No halftime studio analysis, full-time analysis of the Finland-Wales game with um, your man Collins and uh, Phil Babb, which was very strange. And interviews with Ryan Giggs of a game that you hadn't been watching. But anyway, put that aside. Uh, we were sort of, everybody was taken by a s- surprise when we crossed over to Bulgaria and Mick McCarthy was on co-commentary, the man who has been managing the team for the last 18 months. Now, I was trying to think of precedence of this. I know Big Sam came back for a lot of Everton games after he was Everton manager. I think he's on for a lot of his clubs where he'll be in studio. But to have the ex-manager as the co-commentator during the game is a very strange thing for everybody involved. Dean, what was your take on it? Um, I, I uh, felt it was just a, a tremendous um, buzzkill. Like I just thought it was it was something that uh, um, nobody, none of us needed as we looked forward to to this new era. It kind of reminded me, like if you were. Um, if you've been like if you've been going through a very kind of intense period at work, or maybe you're working for somebody who you kind of can't stand the sound of their voice anymore, and you've got a you've got a holiday booked, and you're saying, "Right, well, I'm going on holiday," and you know you're going on holiday, and you're going I don't know in Ireland, you're going to the west of Ireland, you're escaping, you're going to be free, and everything's going to change, and you're going to see the ocean, and everything is great, and you know I don't have to hear that guy's voice for <laughs> for three weeks uh, or whatever. You've taken a long break. And uh, you, you 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 sign off and you go on holiday and then you get in jump in the car and your family are there and everyone's happy, and uh, suddenly in the back of the car a voice is going, oh, "You won't be happy with that." <laughs> <laughs> and there he is, your boss is sitting. He's he somehow invited himself on the holiday, <laughs> and for the entire four hour journey he's going to give you commentary. You know, like uh, maybe you sure you want to be going this way. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd have turned left there if that yeah. were me. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants. And like this is the thing. This is a, this is an empty stadium. Everybody is watching it on Sky. Everyone in Ireland is watching it on Sky. Everybody wants to move on. And then there's this. There's this. Uh, there's Mick McCarthy's voice saying nothing. Saying nothing of bringing, providing no insight really. Um, but just there, like you know. So, like in in the in the in the in the car journey, he would just be telling you things you already knew. Uh, we're on the M7 now, um, that kind of stuff. And uh, you know that that's that's what he was doing. It was like as if somebody had decided to mic up Gerard Houllier when he gate crashed the Liverpool dressing room in Istanbul in two thousand and five. Um, like this was this was a bizarre, it was kind of a bizarre decision, and actually, it's sort of. I would say it's backfired on Sky along with the fact that they had no, they seem to have no 
punditry. Uh, they, well, they, at at halftime, if you stayed on the on the channel was showing the match, you had you had more Mick McCarthy and the commentator <laughs> no. running through the incidents. Oh, and I think everyone felt, no, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> like I really can't do this. He's followed me. He basically followed me into the services station. He's like, now I'm getting my he's cup of tea and my sausage, you know, and my sausage roll, and he's still here telling me stuff I've already done and already know. Um, uh, so it was, it was just a bizarre um, experience and made it more difficult um, for for you know football Irish football fans to kind of move on. But also, now Mick McCarthy said nothing, but it was a curious decision. Uh, from from his point of view too, and Mick would have been somebody who would have been very uh, aware of commentary from uh, players and other managers and former managers and potential managers, and he would always been aware of his position in Ireland vis a vis, especially with the Roy Keane situation. And I think I wonder how he would have felt if this was if uh, his immediate predecessor. If Roy, you know, if you know, he would feel about Roy Keane doing these matches, you know, about uh, Martin O'Neill doing these matches, if, if when he was there. Um, no, I can't remember. I don't think Martin O'Neill ever did. I can't remember if Roy Keane ever did any Ireland games. Um, but uh, I just thought it was it was a really uh, curious um, decision all around. It must have felt like you've broken up with a partner and then you've evolved as a person, you've learned things and then you're on like a first date with somebody new and they're, they're in the same restaurant, like two tables away, just commenting on everything you do. Like, oh, didn't do that with me. Or they're the waiter. Um, yeah, or they're the waiter. Yeah, exactly. And they, it, they just kind of sour the whole experience by judging you for everything. Oh, yeah, it, it, it must have been weird. Like, even I thought it was very strange. Um, I, I don't remember the halftime bit like or the absence of any of anything at half time because I think I just needed to get away. From <clears> like TV. most, you see again, like most normal people. See, this is a kind of very curious thing, and this would separate somebody. Like there is a very strong argument: why would you want to watch any an- analysis of that Ireland game? Like Ruben has taken the natural. Like Sky maybe thought we have we have a constituency of Ruben Pinders to serve as well. They don't want to hear any more about this game. Give them anything but the Ireland match. Like Was- this is. The, this is the thing. Like nobody wants, nobody wants to be reminded of what they've just watched. Was Keith Andrews? Is he a coach now? Yeah. Uh, okay, because he has done a lot of international uh, punditry on Sky, and I, I've I've found him relatively interesting to listen to in the past. But yeah, like without without somebody vaguely interesting to to dissect it, then. Yeah, you just wouldn't listen to more Mick McCarthy. No, no. Well, the whole thing was, and like this is the whole thing was just noise, like in in the halftime. Like, and that's uh, that may well have been the case. I don't think if Phil Babb had been talking about the Ireland match, you would have been um, any you know particularly illuminated uh, anyway. So it it doesn't really matter because, like, I think as pundit as a pundit, he's not going to say anything interesting, um, and it kind of was a reminder of. Uh, you know how you know, above that top tier, you know that Sky can just bring in people who aren't who are just going to make noises, um, and and so I don't yeah. think there was much. We, we I don't think we missed out much by missing out on on Phil Babb's views. But punditry the whole... for these games is very much like background, isn't it? Like nobody's actually listening; it's just kind of there to tick over. Like you'd notice if it wasn't there, but a lot of a lot of punditry for these international games that don't really mean anything yet is a lot like there's just something colourful to be in the background while you scroll through Twitter. Yeah, I think that's it. Well, I think that like that's international football in general, yeah. really. Something, something you just have in the background while you scroll through Twitter. There was that one moment when Mick, especially in the first half, when he was being asked by the, the commentator to like refer to famous games that he was involved in, such as Ireland scraping a 2-1 victory over Gibraltar in his first match. And he was quite defensive about that. Like I was saying to you before, Ant, and uh, you could, you know, it was it was a bit tense. And then there was uh, the many references to Conor Howrahan's wand of a left foot. Many, many. And if you stayed for halftime, you would have got more of that. That one chance he had that was just wide. But there was also that strange reference where he said that um, he picked Conor Howrahan as a left back, but then 
basically fib to the media that it was an experiment when actually he was just trying to give him game time. And you were like, well, why wouldn't you just be honest about it? That's not a big deal. Like that, that it like it actually makes more sense that you would say it was just to give him game time because there'd be no more questions. Whereas by saying I'm going to try him out as a left back, everyone's like, what are you doing? What's that about? Such he, a strange he, admission. He also, uh, I think at one stage, um, he said Doherty and then switched to the you know English pronunciation of Doherty. Doherty, he uh, did. And, and then he also used Hendrix instead oh, of yeah. Hendrix. Oh, that, that's just, that Hen- Hendrix is just not his name. No. That's just <laughs> ridiculous. What, what, how do you say Matt Doherty's name? You, well, you've you've more or less got it, Ruben. Like you're not you're so you're it's like a soft uh, ch, but like the c's not there, so it's like it's her, it's Doherty. Like it's okay, not, right? Yeah. Gotcha. Right. <laughs> Hang on, let's ask Nods, a true Irish. <laughs> I'm. I, I mean, more than anything, I'm. I'm just fascinated by the two respective impressions that you just did. <laughs> <laughs> McCarthy, because because essentially what you did, Paddy, was you used your normal voice, except made it slightly gruffer. <laughs> and and as for as for, as for Dion, I don't know, I don't know what that was. It was it was kind of like it was like a slow down Les Dawson, as, as 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 if as if the cassette tape you listen to has been stretched a little bit too much. So it's just like, <laughs> it was very, very strange. Um, but yeah, he's he, he like the the, th- the thing with Mick McCarthy is that he's such a dull person as well. Like he's he, he's gained almost like a bit of a cult sort of uh, appreciation because there's various gifts going around on social media of, of him looking sort of uh, slightly smarmy as the camera sort of like uh, zooms in on him. And but then when you actually get to the reality, he's a really dull man with a really unfortunate voice. Um, and, and, and again, like, like, like you talk about sort of how weird it is, like bringing him back to sort of, uh, co-commentate on his, uh, on, on the person who's replaced him. But, you know, in a way I felt as if it's like, do you know, if you, if you have like a, a party leader, a political party leader and they're unsuccessful and so you get a new person in a new brush, they're going to do things in a new way. In some ways, if the previous person compliments them or says they're doing a great job, that is damning to them. That is the worst thing that they want to hear. So it was weird. I agree. It was really weird watching the watching the game because even when Mick McCarthy was praising the game and sort of and sort of saying nice things, that almost reflected badly on Kenner because 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 it, it made it feel as if like he's the continuity candidate and like nothing's really changed. Whereas whereas you want a change, you want uh you want something new. So so I can totally understand how it, how, how it would just uh piss on your chips like like they should have got i mean if they want an ex ex manager get trapatoni in let's, <laughs> let's see what we get out of him yeah that would be good that would be fantastic code commentary that really would because without the uh visuals you would need you would need a camera on trap at the same time to have any chance of understanding what he was trying to say my my, my vague memories with trapatoni just being being permanently angry and just shouting yeah, very, yeah, very angry, angry, but, but, uh, but also very entertaining. Yeah. And uh, and the uh, players putting Guinness in their coffee, um, coffee flasks or whatever while they're on international duty, straight from John from John Walters. That yeah, when was that? I don't remember that. Well, I don't know. He 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 told uh, he said it on. Is it? Yeah, on a previous Joe show about having putting Guinness and stuff in. Sneaking Guinness around when Trapatoni had told them they couldn't drink. Oh yeah, well I suppose there was a, a curfew. Uh, yeah, he was quite strict on curfews, which they then didn't always necessarily obey. Some of them, anyway. Um, but no, he would be. Uh, yeah, he was kind of permanently anger or, or on the point of anger. Yeah, I, I think that was the, the thing that was was great about Trap. Uh, but it was, but it was, um, it kind of never lost its power. Like there was. Uh, um, like the thing about Trap, which was was kind of tragic in a way, was that he was such um, an admirable man. Like the football was so terrible, um, and really, really the worst football you could possibly watch. But he was everyone who. Anytime you were around him, you were kind of in awe of him. You were just in awe of this guy who had just. Uh, he just. He just seemed to be. He just seemed to be. You were like that's. I, that's my granddad. 
You know what I mean? I was like, that's, you know, he's just such a man. He just seemed like he'd figured everything out about life. And, I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't realize how long he was the manager. Is it like five years or something? Yeah, from 2008 to, yeah, 2013, wasn't it? Cause it, because the idea of him being angry, it, like he, he, when I say angry, like he, he almost felt as if he was talking to people who didn't quite understand, like, don't you well, understand who I am or what, what I'm doing? They quite literally didn't understand. Yeah. Uh, because he, he couldn't speak English. And, uh, or like, I don't, that's not fair. Like, I think Trapatoni's language is, he's, he's kind of, He's he he is mangling whatever language he happens to be speaking. Like you talk to people in Italy about, it and they say, "Yeah, no trap is just mangling the Italian language too." It's just it's it's his own, it's his own kind of language, and he has a Milanese dialect that he uses. Um, and you would have like he had a, a extremely good and very patient um, interpreter uh, who was with him at all times. Um, but there were times when he would Trap would say something like this. This is how surreal it would be. There were times when Trap would actually say something in English, in his version of English, which she would then translate into other English. You know, that was what would happen. He would say something in his version of English, and then Manuela would then tell you what you know he was was meaning to say, but he'd already said it in English. Um, <laughs> so, you, so, so you had him speak in English, and then his translator speaks speaks it English. Was all, yeah, it, it, it could just it would just go from one to the other. Like it was it was, it was a very fluid situation in terms <laughs> of, of what language he was speaking at any at any one time. Um, and uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's it's almost as if his translator was like a Trapatoni whisperer. She was only, well, only she I can was. understand. Yeah, no, she really was. Like it was it was. Uh, it was it was it was a kind of amazing uh, thing to watch because it was it was kind of a sense of things as much as anything like there I like it was because uh, um, he 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 would spend most of, most of his press conferences he actually did in English but she was always there and then she would like you know he would maybe turn to her for a phrase but sometimes she would just try and explain or he would say it in English and maybe he would sometimes say it to her in Italian and then she would repeated but like it was a very very fluid situation um, and uh, she, you would probably need her to in the code commentary if you were to track it <laughs> just budge up yeah and she had a she had a cold following Manuela Spinelli I mean yeah. she was a she was they, they appeared on chat shows together like on like Friday night the late late show and <laughs> yeah they were they were definitely like a, a duo so it was uh yeah, it was uh, an interesting time. Trap's last gig, I was just checking there, Dion. Your your dates are bang on the money, 08 to 13. And also, um, he's 81 years of age now. What a man. But he, his last stint was as the manager of Vatican City, which I'd missed. I had missed that part of Trapatoni's career. Um, he took them for a game against the Italian Financial Police team, which I really? was... I don't think that's that an one. official... I think that's... Is that is that on Wikipedia? Well, it looks pr- okay. Fair enough. It is on Wikipedia, Dion. God, uh, been a real Mick McCarthy now, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I do. You don't want to go that way. Um, oh, I've just got this image of Trapattoni shouting at the Pope with somebody next to him translating. <laughs> okay, yeah, I've only got one source, so Dion. You maybe, maybe be- he did it for, but I don't think it was a like. I think his last job really was. Yeah, was, yeah, was Ireland. Yeah, fair. All right, okay. On that, on that bombshell, let's move on. And uh, before we go, let's discuss Alexis Sanchez, who has been speaking on his Instagram channel about his time at Manchester United, um, and explaining exactly, I suppose, putting some context on a period of his career that looks pretty, pretty sparse now. Five goals in forty-five appearances. At the time when he joined, obviously there was the essentially Sanchez was one of the best, if not the best player in the Premier League when he joined Manchester United for big money. He went for big money. He was being paid huge money. Um, reports that he was on somewhere between three hundred and four hundred thousand a week for Manchester United. But he has now been speaking about the fact that at the time at Manchester United, uh, he said in a video message that. Essentially, when he got to United after his first training session, he'd rang his agent and asked, could he rip up the contract that he wanted to go back to Arsenal? Um, it's an incredible admission that this fantastic footballer in his first 
training session and as he refers to it, there was something off at the club. Um, it's an incredible admission by by Sanchez uh, Nas that that uh, that there were that this we get this insight that Mourinho and that Manchester United was there was this something was amiss. Yeah, I mean it's it certainly brightened up a, a Friday morning. <laughs> um, Twitter is a buzz with uh, United fans irate at, uh, at Sanchez. He, I think he's overtaken. Uh, Angel Di Maria as a as the bet noir of of United fans. Uh, it's I mean in in a way as much as sort of like he's it's very hard to feel sorry for him. Like you've got to admire his honesty. Like he, this is how he feels and and this is what he's coming out with. Obviously it's very sort of uh, one sided and none none of it was his fault and, and and everything was was the environment and United. However, like as we said before, like like. Any player going into any situation, like the environment has a massive impact on how they're doing and how they're behaving. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it's it's very forthright, very honest. Uh, the the idea that you go to one training session and you think, nah, not for me. It's it, it, it's a little it's a little bit like uh, have you heard that Larry David thing that he when he was a stand up, sometimes he'd walk out, he'd take one look at the audience and just decide he didn't want to do it and walk off. it's a a little bit like that except except the difference is that sanchez bravely continued to to receive uh between 350 and 400 thousand pounds uh a week uh so yeah i mean there there is that but uh but yeah um but oh but also i mean it's interesting because i was um i was reading an article by tor christian carlson Who's a who's a Norwegian scout who plays who um is a sporting director at Monaco and he's he wrote for ESPN about uh Donny van der Beek and about what he'll bring to United and 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 he, and he did the whole thing about explaining sort of how he'd fit in and what kind of player he is and how versatile he is but then he he said something quite interesting in that he he talked about how Solskjaer will uh, be impressed by his character uh and and even even by the way he sort of like uh g's up uh his teammates and uh and encourages him on the pitch and like he 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 made the point that like these might seem like little details uh but players body language their character is is increasingly something that uh scouts and recruitment officials look for in a player when they, when they're sort of looking to suggest them to a club and i think i think that kind of reflects the situation with sanchez in 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 that Sanchez and players like him might be miles better than Van der Beek and players like him, but um, it's all, it, a lot of it is about character and how they will fit in. Um, and 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 maybe maybe Sanchez is the type of player who would flourish at a team where there's less pressure, or he sort of like uh, championed as like this this god in the changing room and like everything focuses around him and just to be a bit part uh, or there being so much expectation on him um, just wasn't for him. Yeah, I think it it does um, reveal the uh, the um, desperation there was at Manchester United at the time because I think you could see during Sanchez's performances for Arsenal, though obviously they were much better than his performances for United, but you could certainly see that element of uh, frustration and sort of um, uh, performative frustration at times, where I can't remember there was, was I, I can't remember some game, some cup game. Uh, was it against Stevenage or something? I can't remember what, who it was against. Um, uh, and Arsenal were losing, and you know Sanchez was just his his sort of gurning agony on the pitch as he made his frustration clear was sort of ridiculous, really, and was almost designed to kind of. Illustrate to the Arsenal fans at that stage how uh, how um, bereft he was feeling at, at this. Um, so, like, it wouldn't have taken a huge amount of like due diligence on his character to figure out that maybe in a in a kind of underperforming team or a team that isn't really fully cohesive yet that you could have some problems with Sanchez. Um, having said that, I think there was like there is no question. Uh, that his um, that there there were probably elements of his criticism that people would listen to and pay pay take greater heed of or take you know, uh, 
take on board more if it was if it was anybody else saying them rather than somebody who has not said you know picked up this uh, astronomical wage every week and never did anything but um, the way he was brought in the way he he just fell to pieces kind of was revealing about how Manchester United were functioning at that stage anyway. He was already on the decline when he joined them. Just going back to Paddy's comment that he was one of the best players in the Premier League at the time, he was already playing really badly for Arsenal and Arsenal fans were very happy to get rid of him. Um, and yeah, it seems like going into a very toxic environment just completely broke him as a player. But I would like to know what exactly happened in that first training session that made his that like made him so determined not like or like just made him think that he'd made a mistake um because like what how bad can a training session go really do you know what i mean like what would Mourinho have said something to him or or is is he getting absolutely clattered by phil jones or like what's going on there like, i don't I, I, I understand it more if rokin was still at the club because 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 that, there's that famous thing where um when dwight york first came to the club and in his first training session, uh, Roy Keane went two footed into him, into the back of him, and and uh, Dwight D- Dwight York basically got back up and started playing, and, and and then therefore in in Roy Keane's book he was he was a he was he was an all right sort like like he 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 he'd passed the initiation, but like that United team, there was I can't think of anyone who would sort of uh, do anything like that. Maybe I mean I mean like you're, you're the one, you're the one who's been watching so much. Fucking uh, this or nothing or whatever it's called on Amazon. Like, 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 is is there any clues from that? Like how how Mourinho started at uh, Spurs. Well, he was very um, positive on his in, in the first few training sessions. Like he's he's going around like asking everybody what they like. Oh, what do I? What's his nickname? So, oh, okay, I call him Winksy and call him Harry. Right, gotcha. Yeah, good stuff. Hey. All right, lads. Yeah, look how look how good I am at passing a football. Still, yeah, we're all having fun. We're gonna win things. And then, like uh, in the fourth episode, which hasn't come out yet, there's a conversation with Danny Rose, which is very um, sort of what's what's the fucking problem? Uh, why aren't you playing me? Uh, it's because you because you play shit against Liverpool, sort of thing. Um, so, I think yeah, Mourinho had already been through that period of we are Manchester United, we're going to win things. And by the time Sanchez got there, it was very much at that kind of toxic peak um, when nobody was having any fun. So that's probably it. You have to remember as well with York and Keane that when uh, York played for him at Sunderland and when Keane left the club, uh, York texted him uh, saying, all the best, Roy, good luck in the future. And he got a reply from Roy Keane that just said, go fuck yourself. (laughs) So you know, it always turns a little bit sour. Lovely bloke. By the by, the way, how much of a clang was that, Mister Fucking? I'm Ruben Pinder. I get to see things before everyone else. Yeah, I know. Pathetic, <laughs> Ruben. Nothing. He's got nothing, lads. Probably hasn't come out yet. <laughs> he's probably watching the twelfth episode. He's probably watching the finale as we speak. Yeah, no spoilers. Ericsson leaves. <laughs> <laughs> what an episode you've had, Ruben. You start off by uh, disparaging <laughs> the Republic of Ireland national team and finish up by gloating about your uh, access to uh, television programs that we all want to watch. Um, no, um, just before we go, guys, uh, it's the question that I know the podcast listeners are probably hanging on their seats for. Did Giovanni Trapattoni ever manage the Vatican City? Well, <laughs> we talking about Dostoevsky earlier. <laughs> Um, first of all there is a Vatican City national team 220th in the world of the 239 uh, countries so there's a lot of references references to him managing the Vatican City in 2010 but they all link back to the same FIFA.com article Dion which is no longer there so it feels to me like that's a a lie that has taken legs Um, but there is one verifiable source, Leo Mackey and the examiner, when asked Giovanni Trapattoni at the fourth Clericus Cup 
a Father Ted tournament for priests and trainee priests. Um, sorry, Father Ted style, I should say, which which uh, happens in Rome. He was chatting to Trapattoni at this. This is real. And he said, when I retire, I would like, after the Republic of Ireland, my uh, ambition is to coach the Vatican City. Well, he may have Whether done that. It sounds like a one-off game, like, you know, the way you might, you know, but you don't, see, you don't see, uh, uh, um, you don't see it on, like, Mourinho's CV that he, he coached uh, what's the celebrity game soccer? Yeah, yeah, soccer. Yeah, soccer, soccer aid. Yeah, soccer, soccer aid. He doesn't. That's not on his Wikipedia page. Like I think maybe you know, Trap is a devout Catholic, so I'm sure he would do anything he could to help out the Vatican City. If you're in trouble, I'll always be there. I love he loves, he loves the club. I've I, I've just searched Google Images for Trapsony Vatican City and 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 amongst the other pictures, um, some of which are just him chatting to the Pope. There's there's a picture that I've never seen before of, of presumably when he was announced as a island manager, where he where he's got like um he's got two models on either side of him, and he's just he's just ogling one of them, like just just unashamedly ogling one of them. That was the era in, in Irish PR where everything. Uh... Any anything, if you were launching anything at all, you had to have uh, Irish models as as part of it, um, and uh, you know it was only ten years ago, or a bit longer. But uh, but trap as uh, you know, yeah, I think that would have, uh, yeah, trap would have, you know, despite his uh, you know his devout Catholicism. Uh, I'm not surprised yeah. that what, what you what you say you see. The, the image does not need any translating. No. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> okay, right. Well, look, we should leave it there, chaps. Um, it's been a, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. Ruben Pinder, Dion Fanny, and uh, Nordy Chowdhury, and we'll be back again because the Nations League has it has more to run, and England are out of the weekend as well. Um, they're going to be taking on Iceland at Reykjavik, and that man on Sky Sports who's been sitting in his hotel room for the last week, he'll he'll get out to the game, which is which is nice. He's been quarantining ahead of the game. And uh, we'll have some of Iceland, England, and we'll have some of Finland against Ireland against Finland, lads, on Saturday, it's Sunday, it's on yeah. Sky. So, you know, if you want, if you, it's not compulsory this time, all right. If you if you feel like you want to just dip in, that's all right. They should have Dion as Mick McCarthy co commentating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready, ready to do it. <laughs> Whatever is required. Okay, thanks very much for listening and uh, we'll be back on Monday and uh, if you haven't already done so, click subscribe to never miss a show. Talk soon. I think it would lift the spirits of the nation. I don't give a fuck about the nation of Morocco. bro. It's people's lives are at risk. Oli Gunnar, where would you like the statue? <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. We'll take it as a yes then. Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that. Politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, have a bad shave.